Good morning. Welcome, welcome to church. Um, if you're new to the church, like Pastor Dave said, I'm Greg, one of the pastors here, and I'm excited uh, to close out the book of Colossians. We've been studying this for the past couple months. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, turn with me to Colossians 4, and we're going to close with verses 7 through 18 today. So I want to get you ready there. Uh, this past summer, my family and I, we got to be part of a week-long family camp. It's a conference called uh, Mount Hermon. And some of you guys maybe have been to Mount Hermon before. Maybe you grew up going there or you've been there once. Um, but Mount Hermon has always been a place where a lot of people experience spiritual growth. And I can say for my family, we had just an amazing week there. Uh, they have morning sessions where you get to worship and hear a message, evening session where you have worship and a message as well. And then you have like small groups and different seminars where you can learn different things. And then activities for us to just really bond and fellowship. They have hiking and biking and swimming in the pool or the lake. They have basketball tournaments, all, all sorts of things. And, and my family came away just so Thankful to God for the week. I mean, my kids still talk about it, and um, they can't wait to go back, hopefully this, this next year. But I love that at the end of the week, on that last night, Friday night, they call it Friday Night Delight. And that's a week to just kind of like just remember all the things God did during that week. And one of the things that they'll do that night is they'll show a slideshow. And the team puts together a slideshow to remind us of all the different activities and things that we did but what I love about the slideshow is that at the end, they'll show pictures of individuals, and they'll actually put their name on it and what they did. And you start realizing, man, there were so many people involved in putting this ministry together. People that many of us didn't recognize, or maybe people we've never met, or maybe roles that we didn't realize were being played. Like they showed Craig, who was the camp director, and Karen, who organized all the seminars, and Roger, who coordinated all the small groups, and Tom, who led all the devotions. You got the Okada family, who were ministering to the first-timers. You had all these people. You had Lowell, the worship director, the morning worship team, the evening worship team, and you realize there were so many people involved in making the impact that we experienced this week. And I love that because that slideshow was giving honor where honor was due. And I share that because as we close Colossians, Paul just gives us a list of names. And it's almost like this is like a first century Colossians slideshow. And he's giving us these names and a picture of who they are to help us realize there are so many people involved in spreading the gospel and helping the Colossian Christians grow in their faith. And so what I want to do is I want to bring you through the slideshow. I'm going to read right now verses 7 through 18. I'm going to read it in its entirety. And then I'm going to show you some observations that we get from this list of names. Okay? So let's start in verse 7. Colossians 4 verse 7. And here's the slideshow. We start off with Tychicus. And Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus. And by the way, you might want to circle these names as we go along. Onesimus is our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus, another name, sends you his greetings as does Mark the cousin of Barnabas, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. 
Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Then Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. And our dear friend Luke, Luke's the doctor, and Damis send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in their house. Now after this letter has been read to you, see to it that you also read that is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. And he closes like this, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. With that, let's say grace. Let's pray and give thanks to God, and let's ask him to lead us into this time. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just want to declare grace. You've been so good to us as you've been really pouring into us, pouring into us these past several weeks, just the richness of your truth and reminding us of the supremacy of Christ. God, thank you so much. And I I pray that as we finish off this letter today, that we would finish strong. That even though there's a bunch of names that somehow we would walk away just changed and transformed, that we would be challenged by your truth. And God, as I prepared this message this week, there were people on my heart that I pray will hear this message and be ministered to, who are going through situations that I know about, and I pray that this word would be relevant to them. And God, I know that beyond them, there are other names that I don't know about that are on your heart as well. And I pray that you would speak to them. Lord, you know everyone's situation. And I pray that you would show us that your word is living and active. And so God, right now, we give you our hearts and our minds. Protect us from the enemy as he would love to distract us right now. And I pray that we would be just focused in on what your spirit has to say to us. And so we give you our hearts, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what I want to do instead of going through every single name and giving you the biography and history of each person, I want to give three observations that I believe we can draw from this list of names. And so here's the first observation. I'm going to give you three. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. But observation number one is this. No one makes a ministry successful. It takes an army. So no one, no individual makes a ministry successful. It takes an army. So you got to think about this. Paul's imprisoned. He's in Rome and he's locked up. And so how in the world is he communicating with the Colossians who are over 1,100 miles away? How is he spreading the gospel so effectively when he's remote? I'll tell you how. You know how? Through Zoom. Let me show you. Verse 7 and 8, go back there. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Verse 8 says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose. The first century version of Zoom for Paul, communicating from remote places, the first century version of Zoom for him was a guy named Tychicus. And, and, and He would take this message written by Paul and he would zoom it over to Colossae. 
Now when I say he zoomed it over, uh, you have to realize that that he went urgently, but Paul's connection to Colossae was a lot slower than we have here in our day today. See, when Tychicus brought the message, which at the time, they had no New Testament scriptures, right? Tychicus is bringing it over. He had to travel 360 miles by foot on land just to get to a ship. I'm going to put up the map for you. And then after traveling 360 miles on land, he would jump on a boat and travel 353 miles across the sea to another piece of land. He would get off the boat, cross this isthmus in Corinth. He would travel many miles to get onto the next boat to travel 250 more miles across the Aegean Sea to land at Ephesus, a port city. And then from Ephesus, he would get back on foot and travel another 132 miles inland to reach Colossae. That's over 1,100 miles carrying the good news. My question is this. Who was more important, who was more significant in getting God's truth to the people in Colossae? Paul, the one who wrote the inspired scriptures, or Tychicus, who carried it to him? Who is more significant? Neither. Neither was more significant than the other. They were both links in the chain connecting God's truth to people's souls. It takes an army. No one person is responsible. And so thank God for Tychicus who brought communication support to Paul. He helped communicate it. Now then in verse 10, he goes on and Paul mentions another guy. His name is Aristarchus. And Aristarchus says, he's my fellow prisoner. Which is very interesting because according to scholars and historians, Aristarchus wasn't a prisoner. He was a freedman. But it was like to Paul, it was as if he were a prisoner because he's always with me as I'm in prison. He was so present by Paul's side, tending to his needs, encouraging him, comforting Paul, doing whatever Paul needed for the ministry. Here's Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, though he wasn't really a prisoner. And yet he put his life on the line to be associated with a prisoner like Paul. And then Paul goes on and he says, not just Aristarchus, but in verse 11, he says, there's this guy named Jesus. And Jesus is a Jew, but this isn't Jesus Christ. Jesus was a common name back then, but Paul tells us Jesus went by the name, the Greek name, Justice. And can you blame the guy? Like, I don't know if I would want to be called Jesus. I wouldn't be able to live up to that name. He's probably like, I cannot bring to the name of Jesus, Justice. Yeah, that's a good ring to it. I'll go by justice, right? Like, and so I'm pretty sure that's not how it went. But he goes by justice, and Paul says that Aristarchus and Justice, along with this other guy, Mark, were the only Jews who joined me in the work for the kingdom of God. That's crazy because Paul ministered to a lot of Jews. And that tells me that it probably wasn't very popular for a Jew to leave Judaism to preach Jesus. In fact, these guys put their lives on the line. They were persecuted to be associated with a prisoner like Paul. And Paul writes, man, these guys have brought so much comfort to me. They brought so much comfort to me. And so praise God, not just for Tychicus and his communication support, but praise God for Aristarchus and Justice for their emotional support. And then he goes on, he says in verse 14, he says, look, there, there's Luke, doctor, Luke was a doctor, a physician, and God actually used Luke to write 
his own books of the Bible. Guess what book Luke wrote? That's right, Acts. He wrote Acts, right? And so he wrote the book of Luke, but he also wrote Acts, which historically documents the missionary journeys of Paul and gives the details of the spread of the gospel through Paul's ministry. And so the question is, why is Luke the physician writing as if he were a historian? And the answer is because he can, because he could. Why? Because he was with Paul. He was alongside Paul, part of the missionary team, Probably as a physician on it. He was probably a medic, a first responder, because we know that Paul had these ongoing ailments. He was constantly sick or suffering in some physical way. And it's believed that Luke was used by God to help Paul physically keep going. Praise God for Luke and his physical support. And I think as Paul is writing these names, he understands and wants everybody to understand there is no one, no one that makes the ministry successful. It takes an army. There's no one individual man, individual woman, but it takes many links to form the chain that connects God's truth to people's hearts. And he's recognizing them. And when I observe this, it resonates deep. In my heart, Pastor Gary and I have been the primary preaching pastors here at this church. We're probably the ones you're going to see most from this pulpit. And I think I could speak for Pastor Gary when I say that so many of you in this church have done such an amazing job showing recognition and honor for the messages preached, uncomfortably so. And I say uncomfortably so because we realize And we would be the first to tell you that we're not Lone Rangers, just like Paul wasn't a Lone Ranger. That we shouldn't be getting honor when there's an entire army that's getting the message out. See, without our team, many of you, especially if you're watching through the screen right now, would not be receiving this message if it weren't for the army. Like, for example, I think about Darren Ogamori and Cole Kawashiri and James Johnson and J.R. Bellaro, who are part of our sound team, they help control what comes out of this mic. For you who are in the house right now, and those of you who are in your house right now, there's two systems going on, a broadcast and an in-house, and they're running the sound. And thank God for them, because if it were not for our sound team, then this is what you would hear. And every single week, you would be struggling to hear. You guys might be okay. now. And praise God for Rainy. She's here faithfully with her daughter, Ari. They're here every week behind the lights. They're, they control. I don't know if you ever thank God that there's lights because after worship, if I were to come out, if it were not for Rainy, I would walk out of the stage like this. And you'd be confused and you'd be distracted by the darkness, trying to wonder who's speaking, who's talking, what's he talking about, and you'd be distracted. But thank God, because of Rainy, you can see the light. You're, 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 yeah, you, you can praise God for that. You're receiving light. And then I thank God for our, our camera team, for Sherry and Sir Francis. And today we got Phil behind the cameras. If it were not for them behind the cameras, this message would literally be confined to this room. And those of you guys under the tents and in the lobby, or maybe you're listening from a different country or a different state or a different city, you would not be receiving this message if it were not for them. 
And not only would the message be confined to this room, I'd be confined to this pulpit, which I don't like to. Sometimes I like to come off of it. Sometimes I want to give an illustration, so I want to show you something that we're learning. But then if it weren't for them, this is all you would see. Nothing at all. But thank God they're on the cameras and they're moving it around so that you don't have to be distracted and you can keep on listening to what God might be saying. If it weren't for Sherry, who's on the slides today, and oftentimes it's Tina as well, if it weren't for them with the slides, you'd miss the point of the message. You probably wouldn't get the point of the message. Because it's them who literally put the point of the message. They put the points up for you on the message so that you would remember it and be able to write it down so you could take it home and meditate on that. I praise God for Doug and Nicole and Gaston and Tina who, who are often our producers. They're like the head that makes it happen besides Christ. They come under Christ to make sure there's no confusion and chaos. They're communicating with every part to make sure everything happens. And they're communicating with the backstage. I don't know if you realize we got a backstage crew. Michael and, and Ken, would, or who we got today? We got Ethan and, and Michael backstage. Say hi to them and would you honor them? They sit back there all service, sometimes two services, to make sure everything's going as it should. They're communicating with the back. There's so much that goes on that we don't realize. And so there is so much that God does through not one but an army. And I don't even have time to mention people who aren't even on a tech team, like guys like Lee, who prays for me, sends me audio text prayers every time I preach. And my brother Josh, who always texts me a prayer that God would anoint the message. And I can't even say enough about Monica. My wife, who does way more than anybody could imagine to help the preparation of the the message. And so two points of application. Two points, really quick. Number one, first of all, honor the army. Whenever you feel like, man, I just got to say thank you to the pastor for the message, honor the army. When you walk by the booth, you see somebody in in a black shirt and a uniform or with a headset, or maybe you see them in the lobby, Honor them, thank them. Give them words of affirmation of how their ministry has helped impact you. Buy them coffee, take them out to lunch. Pray for them. Pray for their families. Spiritual warfare is not limited to pastors. Spiritual warfare is the devil wanting to attack anyone, especially those who are working for the message of the gospel. So number one, honor the army. Number two, join the army. Everybody who has the spirit of God has been gifted. And so how can you contribute to helping the message of Christ go forth to the ends of the earth? And it's not necessarily meaning you got to join a tech team. Serving in kids crew allows parents to be freed up to come and hear, to hear the message. Serving in the parking lot creates a welcoming atmosphere so that people can come and feel like they actually belong to this family and they'll want to keep on coming back. How can you contribute to the spread of the gospel? Join the army. Paul wasn't a lone ranger. And no one makes a ministry successful. It takes an army. So that's the first observation. I I pray that we'll remember that. Here's the second one I want to share with you. Would you write this down? Observation number two. Strained relationships can be strengthened. Who needs to hear that this morning? Strained relationships can be strengthened in Christ. 
I'm wondering if there's anyone in here right now who has a strained relationship. Maybe it's with an, an employee or an employer. Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Maybe it's a parent or an in-law. Maybe it's with your spouse. Who does the Lord want to bring to your attention right now? And I want to show you verse 9. Paul says, Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. And they will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, this is, this is great. Who's Onesimus? Onesimus is one who had a falling out with a guy named Philemon. Onesimus worked in Philemon's household. He was a slave and a servant for Philemon, but something happened. We don't know what happened, but Onesimus takes off running. He ditches Philemon, and he runs toward Rome to get away. And so there's a broken relationship. Now, Onesimus goes to Rome, and he happens to run into this guy named Paul, Apostle Paul. Now, if you don't know Jesus and you run into Paul, you got no chance, buddy. Like, he is, he's giving you Jesus, right? Like, so he talks to him about Jesus. Paul becomes friends with Onesimus. Onesimus receives Jesus. Jesus starts to change his heart. And something that Paul taught very often in the book of Colossians and in other books, that when Christ is in you, the old is gone and the new has come. You are a new creation. We put off the old self. We put on the new self. And in Onesimus, Christ is renewing his heart. He's doing a deep, transformative work in his heart to the point where Onesimus realizes, I got to go back and seek forgiveness. And so Paul's sending him back to Philemon. Now, Paul realizes that he's a new guy, right? He once was an unfaithful runaway slave But now he's new in Christ. Now he's a faithful and beloved brother, Paul says. He's just like one of you. One of you, Colossians. A member of your church. But just as much as Christ needed to work in the offender's heart, that's Onesimus, Paul realizes he's got to also work in the offended one's heart, Philemon. And so Paul writes this entire letter, the book of Philemon, if you've ever read it, it's a letter telling Philemon, when Onesimus comes back, welcome him. Show him grace. Show him mercy. And the question is, Paul, why are you so bold to believe that this strained relationship can be strengthened? What makes you believe so? On what basis? Let me show you what basis. In Philemon verses 8 and 9, he writes to Philemon. He says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on what? On the basis of love. Philemon, because Christ has loved you. And you've experienced the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of Christ on the basis of love. Welcome back, Onesimus. See, Paul has experienced firsthand how the love of Christ can change people's hearts in a relationship so that strained relationships can be strengthened. Paul knows that Christ can do that. How does Paul know? How could he be so confident that this is going to work out between Philemon and Onesimus? I'll tell you how 
Let me show you a very powerful verse in the Bible. Very powerful and very encouraging. It's actually the next verse. Verse 10. Colossians 4 verse 10. This is how Paul knows. You guys ready for this? This is powerful. I just want to brace you. Here we go. Verse 10. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Oh, isn't that good? That's so powerful, right? And you're thinking, how is that powerful, Craig? That's pretty anticlimactic. How is that powerful? It's powerful when you understand who Mark is. And when you know the story between Paul and Mark. See, because Paul and Mark had a falling out. They had beef with each other. Back in Acts, okay, Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are like this dynamic duel. They're this missionary team. They're going to go bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so they're about to go on their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas. And part of their team was Barnabas' cousin Mark. Mark was a faithful helper to them, but as they're about to go, Mark is overwhelmed. We don't know what's going on in his heart, and Mark ditches them and runs off to Jerusalem, kind of like how Onesimus ditched Philemon. I don't know if you've ever been ditched or abandoned, but it does something to you. And Paul is not very happy. And I love that this is raw because Paul is just a human like any of us. He's not flawless, and he's just not cool with, with being ditched. And so there, there was some drama there. How do we know? Because later on in Acts 13, there's, Acts 15 actually, they're going to go on a second missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas were going to go out again, and Barnabas is like, all right, cool. Let me just go grab my cousin Mark, and then we'll be right on our way, Paul. <laughs> and Paul was like, uh-uh. Like, no, 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 no. Mark's not coming with us. He's not going to ditch us again because he's not coming with us. He ditched us once, and he's not coming with us this time. And we know that that caused some tension because Luke is straight up, and he says there was such a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. One version of the Bible says tempers were flaring. That they actually split and Paul goes, fine, I'm going with Silas, we're going this way. And then Barnabas goes, fine, I'm taking my cousin Mark, we're going this way. It's like, Luke, why you got to include all the dirt? Like when you write Acts, why are you throwing them under the bus and showing their beef and all their baggage? Why are you showing their sinfulness? And this is what I love about the Bible, it's raw. And yet I believe Luke can write about their beef Because by the time Luke writes Acts, he already saw the outcome. He already saw the end of the story. How Christ had worked in both of their hearts and strengthened a strained relationship when they let Christ work on their hearts. To the point where Paul, in Colossians 4 verse 10, could actually write with affection, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, Concerning whom I've given you instructions about if he comes to you, welcome him. He is a dear brother. I love it. In the, in the last book that Paul writes, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse, 10, he, he, verse 11, he actually says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, get me Mark, because he's beneficial to me. Paul knew he was dying. He knew this was the end of his life. Get me Mark. I need him. He's good for my soul. 
That's the power of God. And then I love when you look at the Bible that God so worked in Mark's heart and renewed Mark's heart for Jesus that God actually uses Mark to write a book of the Bible as well. Guess which book Mark wrote? That's right, Matthew. No, I'm just kidding. He wrote Mark, right? He wrote Mark, and God used this one who had abandoned another to come back, and he renewed his heart. Someone listening right now needs to hear this. I don't know who you are, but I need to tell you that God is a resurrection God. And there is no relationship so dead that he cannot give life to it. God is a resurrection God and there is no relationship so dead that he cannot give it life again. Why? Because there is no heart that Christ cannot change if we let him. And if we let him into our relationships and into our hearts, we can see strained relationship strengthened. So I'm asking you, who is that person? Is it a sibling? A brother or a sister? Is it a, a coworker that backstabbed you? Is it a neighbor who's been rude to you? Is it a friend who betrayed you? Is it an ex who's cheated on you? Who is that person? Maybe like Onesimus, you're the offender. And God's moving in your heart, maybe right now, that you need to go and ask for forgiveness and seek out mercy to reconcile the relationship. Or maybe, like Philemon, you're the offended one. You've been offended. And God's going to work in someone's heart and, and bring them to a place where in, in, in confidence and boldness they're going to come and seek your forgiveness. And you're not going to want to. No, after what you did to me, you're not going to want to. But perhaps, like Philemon, God's working in your heart to offer love and grace and forgiveness just like Christ did for you. And in that moment of reconciliation, we're putting the gospel on display. And perhaps like Paul and Mark, we'll experience a strange relationship strengthened in Christ. There is no relationship that is beyond repair because there is no heart that Christ cannot renew. Will you let him renew your heart? So that's the second observation. Strange relationships can be strengthened. Let me give you one more. Observation number three. Would you write this down? On the flip side, strong relationships can be strained. People in a strong relationship can go astray. Let, let me show you one more name. And this name comes in verse 14. After he says, Luke, the beloved physician greets you, as does Damis. Circle the word Damis. This is an interesting name because this name comes up three times in the Bible. Once here in Colossians, once in Philemon. And in those two books, Paul says, Damis is a fellow co-worker. He's like part of our team. He's helping spread the gospel. But then he's mentioned one more time in 2 Timothy. Remember, this is the last book that Paul writes. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10. Tragically, Paul writes this. He says, Damis... Because he loved this world, deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica. And that word deserted, it literally means he utterly abandoned. Damis was cons considered a 
co-worker, a partner, a friend, a companion. He was committed to the ministry of the gospel, but then at some point he was consumed by the world. He fell in love with the things of the world. And I, I need to warn you, just because you're walking with Jesus today doesn't mean you'll be walking with Jesus tomorrow. Just because you're serving Jesus in one season doesn't mean you'll be serving him in the next. Hey, hold on, Greg. What are you saying? Are you saying we could lose our salvation? Is that what you're preaching? Well, let me try to answer that in a second. So if you're wondering that, just hold on. I'm going to answer that. But let me show you right now. I want to illustrate to you how our hearts can be so fickle and our passions can be so fleeting. Have you been with our church for a period of time, especially if you've been with us since before the pandemic, you'll know that my love for surfing just could not be contained. Like, it comes out in my preaching. I've heard someone complain, that Pastor Greg, all he talks about is surfing in his sermons. Like, as if it were a bad thing, but, but they were complaining, and I'm sorry, that's just what's in my heart, that's who I am. And you're going to get who I am, and I always pray, God, help me to preach my heart out, and everything in my heart, including surfing, is going to come out. In fact, this past week, I was reading an old blog. I used to keep a blog uh, back in the early 2000s, and I found this blog post from 2008. I'm going to put it up for you. It's just a screenshot. Um, and this particular blog post, 2008, this is like 13 years ago, and I titled it Obsession. And I know you can't read it, so I'm going to read the first paragraph to you. And it says this, I think I'm obsessed. I just came back from lunch, and you know it's crossed over into obsession when you're daydreaming about surf and you accidentally scoop your rice into your coffee mug. <laughs> yeah, that just happened. All day I dream about surf. When I close my eyes, it's sick. All I see are waves. And by sick, I mean like disgusting, not like Pastor Gary where he uses it as cool. Uh, it's disgusting. I, all I see are waves. When I wake up, I check the surf report. When I get to work, I check the surf report. When I get home, I check the surf report. This is seriously getting out of hand. But seriously, though, when I think about surfing, I get all warm and fuzzy inside. It has definitely crossed over into obsession. Then I go on in that blog to talk about what would it look like if we were obsessed with Jesus? What would that look like? And I show you that because it's true. My love for surfing was so intense that I privately would pray, God, take this addiction away. God, I've made it an idol. Take it away. It was that serious. And then the pandemic happened, 2020, last year. And during 2020, all the beaches were closed. And so I couldn't surf, even if I wanted to. I, I, I couldn't surf, so a week went by, and then two weeks went by, and then three weeks went by, and I needed something active just to keep me healthy, and, and I just needed something to be an outlet, so I found mountain biking. And I, and I started to fall in love with mountain biking. And then the beaches stayed closed, and then four weeks went by, then two months went by, and it was okay because I was being consumed with mountain biking. And then when months went by, then finally the beaches reopened, something scary happened. My friends texted me, and they said, hey, Greg, beaches are open. You want to go surf? And I replied, 
no, it's okay, I'm good. I, I'd rather go ride today. And then the winter months hit, and in the South Bay, that's when all the waves are up. All the waves are big in the winter, and so my friend texted me, hey, Greg, the waves are good. You want to go surf? And I said, no, man, it's too cold. No, I don't want to surf. It's too cold. It's too cold? When did it ever become too cold to surf? A year before that, I remember driving to the beach excited and stoked. And I read on my thermometer in my car, it says 37 degrees. It was never too cold then. How did it become too cold? How did my heart grow so cold for surfing? As Pastor Gary mentioned last week, the longer you stay away, the longer you'll stay away. And I can't agree with that statement more. I've experienced how fickle our affections can be. How is it that the human heart can be so intensely in love with something for so long and then in the next season fall out of love with it? That's scary. Paul mentions like a hundred names, over a hundred names in all his letters. And here in the close of Colossians, he just mentions nine. He's like, I just got to give you nine names. Nine names worthy of mention because of their impact on this ministry. And Damus is one of them. You need to know about Damus. He's a fellow co-worker of ours. And I just imagine that Damus was all about Jesus in that season. I love Jesus when I rise. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And when I eat and when I sleep, give me Jesus. I'll put my life on the line to be associated with Paul if I could just make Jesus known. He's all about Jesus. Risking his life. And yet that day came when his heart grew cold because he became consumed with the world. And he utterly abandoned the work of Christ. And the implication is he probably abandoned his walk with Christ. Now, does that mean we can lose our salvation? Or or isn't it once saved, always saved? What is it? What does SBCC teach? And if you're fairly new to the church and you're wondering, what does SBCC teach? Well, first of all, welcome. Welcome to our church. And if you're wondering, is SBCC Calvinistic or are they followers of Arminianism? Like, what's their position on the doctrine of election and predestination? Does God determine our destiny or do we have free will? What does SBCC teach? Do they profess Calvin or Arminius? And here's my answer to that that question. If you're wondering, what the Bible says is what you're going to get. And when it comes to the core doctrines, you're not going to hear, well, Calvin says, therefore we will dot, dot, dot. Or Arminius says, so we will live like dot, dot, dot. What you will hear more than anything is here's what Jesus says. And that's what we're committed to. And if Jesus says in John 6, 44, if he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, then that's what we believe. That no one can come to God unless the Father draws us. He chose us before we ever choose him. The Bible talks about God electing and predestining us. We believe that and we'll teach that because that's what Jesus says. 
And if Jesus says, like in Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me, then that's what we're going to preach, and that's how we're going to live. That sounds a lot like a choice to me. I have to make a decision to deny myself every single day and follow Jesus. That's a responsibility we all have to take up. And so God knows everything God needs to know on that side of heaven. He knows according to his perfect knowledge and his perfect wisdom who is saved. He knows who he elects. He knows who he predestines. God is God. And we are not. And so let God know what everything he knows on that side of heaven. And the reality is we know everything we need to know on this side of heaven. And here's what we need to know. We need to daily pick up our cross deny ourselves, and follow Jesus. That's our responsibility. That's the choice we need to make. I know for a fact that a person can appear to have a strong love for Jesus and serve him with all their heart one day and then put their things, their trust in the things of the world the next day. I've seen it happen. I read about how Damas has done it. And I've had personal close friends of mine do the same, and it's tragic. And it absolutely breaks my heart. And I know that that can happen to me. Our hearts can grow cold if we do not stoke the fire for Jesus and nurture our love for him and care for the faith that we've put in him. It's like, where in the world did my love for surfing go? How did it just disappear? For all my surfing friends in here, if you're just shaking your head and judging me right now, let me, let me give you the end of the story. In the past few months, I've intentionally tried to nurture my love for surfing. Because I, I've known in the past how it's been good for my heart and my soul. I don't want to lose that love. And so what I've done the past few months, even when I didn't feel like it, I committed. I said, I will go surf every single week. I will surf at least once a week. If I can go twice, I'll go twice. Even if I didn't feel like it. And just by bringing myself back, I can honestly say I've experienced my heart restoked and my love for surfing rekindled. I've fallen back in love with surfing. I actually sold a few boards this week to buy a brand new board. I can't wait to get back in the water this week and, and test it out. But I want to say to everyone in here, the most important thing ever is your relationship with Jesus. And so fireproof your relationship with Jesus by stoking the fire in your heart. God's going to do what he's going to do. But you know what you need to do. And I want to encourage you, as long as it is called today, choose to serve him. As long as it's called today, choose to follow him. As long as it's called today, choose to give your life to him. Choose to meet with him. Choose to talk to him. Choose every single week to worship him. Do not forsake the assembly and the worship of God together with the family. Worship him. Let us nurture our love and our faith, lest our hearts grow cold. And so I close with that. Three observations. 
No one makes a ministry successful. It takes an army. Strained relationships can be strengthened. We've seen that. And strong relationships can be strained. Protect them. I want to close by closing with the last letter of Colossians, the last verse that Paul closes with. And a lot of times Paul would dictate his letters and a scribe would write it down for him. And that's what happened in Colossians. But when it came to the last verse, here's what Paul wrote in verse 18. He writes this with his own hands. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And as he closes this letter, which was all about Christ and his sufficiency and his supremacy, he encourages them, remember my chains. Three beautiful words, remember my chains. Now, we don't know what he's asking them to remember about the chains because he kind of leaves it open. Maybe he's saying, remember my suffering. Pray for my endurance and my comfort and my perseverance despite my chains. Or maybe he's saying, remember my chains and pray for open doors, for opportunities, for the gospel to go forth despite my chains. But because it's left open, we don't know exactly what he wanted us to remember. But can I tell you what I remember when I remember his chains? When I remember his chains, I'm reminded that there is no cost too great for the cause of Christ. There's nothing that's not worth paying because Jesus is worth it. Because Jesus is supreme. Because Jesus is more than enough. He is sufficient for us. And so if God is calling me to be part of the army, where can I sign up? Because he's worth it. How can I help his message go forth? He's worth it. And if God is calling me to work in my heart to ask for forgiveness as an offender or to give forgiveness as the offended one so that the gospel can be on display, then help me, God, because Jesus is worth it. And if it means forsaking the things of this world, making sacrifices so as not to forsake Jesus, Jesus is worth it worth it. He is sufficient and he is supreme. And that is what this is all about. And so remember his chains. Because remembering Paul's chains reminds us of Christ's worth. He is supreme. Amen? Amen. And with that, we close the book of Colossians. Would you guys join me as we give thanks to God? And Father God is with grateful hearts that we conclude this letter. God, you have just really fed us with such rich doctrine and theology, just rich truth about Jesus and his supremacy and his sufficiency and how he is more than enough. There's nothing we can add to what Jesus has done for us. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And yet, God, you've also been just teaching us how to live in response to that doctrine and that truth. And so God, help us not to close the book and not do anything. Help us to now live out the book. Help us to show the world Jesus, to show the world the beauty of Jesus and the grace and the majesty and the kindness and the gentleness and the strength of Jesus. 
God, we love you so much. Thank you so much for saving our lives. We owe you everything, and yet we can never pay you back. And so in response, we just worship you. And it's with all our hearts, with every breath in our lungs, we worship you now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.